Welcome to a special episode of the Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Rotom, Coach Jonathan Lee. And today you're going to hear from two different interviews with the athletes that just won the Leadville 100. First from Sofia Gomez Vigiafania from Specialized, and then second from Keegan Swenson and Tobin Ortenblad from the Santa Cruz Hit Squad. We're going to go into how they prepared and how they executed to deliver such insane performances, a record beating performance for Keegan, and stay tuned for some interesting information about how it might a record beating performance from Sophia. Anyways, stay tuned for that. Enjoy this. We'll talk to you at the end. Sophia, it's good to have you back on the podcast. We're going to talk about your Leadville performance. Uh, I want to go over the course first though, if you don't mind, um, to give people context. So 105.1 miles. Uh, I think for everybody that rode the course, like every little bit matters. If you're told it's hundred miles, those last five miles hurt quite a lot. Uh, about 12,000 feet of climbing, 75% dirt, 22% road, 3% single track. The start time was 7 a.m. and the weather that you all had, um, it's kind of tricky because up there the weather changes so fast, right? Sophie, I'm sure you experienced a whole lot of seasons all in one day. Yeah. And we actually started at 6.30. So that half hour does count. Uh, Even earlier. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. Earlier. Uh, But it was weird. There was a storm that had rolled in the evening before and that morning, it actually wasn't as cold as we thought, you know, you kind of get that weird weather where it's stormy. So like the temperature is actually, you know, going up to a lot higher. Um, but yeah, I definitely knew, I thought we were going to get rained on for sure when we were out there. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of athletes did get rained on. It was kind of variable weather. Um, but interestingly, so the high for Leadville, if you look at like the forecast, the high was 74, the low was 52, the average was 62, but looking at a lot of your files, it seems like the average was a lot lower than that. You were climbing up really high, far above that. Anyways, the wind was relatively calm, but the most interesting thing about the weather is it was very similar on paper to what was experienced on 2015 when Leadville happened. And that's when the records were set for Albin Lakata, and then also on the women's side uh, for Annika Longvod. So close, at least on paper. But I think I saw photos of y'all having sun, wind, rain, and a little bit of everything. Um, so with that said, I want to get into this really quick. Uh, your time, and I'm going to put it in some context here. So about 120 pounds or 53 kilograms uh, is your weight. And at sea level, you're just about five watts per kilogram, which is uh, where you're at. And then up at Leadville, uh, you're about 4.1-ish watts per kilogram. We're really estimating here, though. I don't think you showed up to Leadville and did an FTP test uh, first thing, Sophia. So. I mean, I did I did do, when I was there for the Leadville stage race, I did do an effort, and I had a lactate uh, meter with me that's, like, actually one of my new training tools for the year to, like, try to figure out altitude. Um, and that's actually provided me a lot of insight on, like, like just how my like lactate curve kind of goes as I ramp up and, um, yeah, just kind of getting a little insider tip of like, okay, at this wattage, I'm at this, you know, amounts of millimoles. Um, so I did have a little bit of knowledge, but yeah, not exact. After we record, we have to talk about that. Cause I have, I have really weird lactate. So it'll be interesting to talk to you uh, about this. Um, with that said you did a hundred. So your time was seven hours, nine minutes and 48 seconds. Uh, you did 191 watts for your normalized power, 169 for your average power. That comes out to about 3.6 watts per kilogram. And then this is always controversial, uh, but if you were to like normalize that for sea level elevation, basically apply that and then change the power out, that would be like doing 4.5 watts per kilogram down at sea level for seven hours and nine minutes, uh, which is 
thoroughly impressive. And I know it's hard to just directly translate that over, but just the same, it's a whole lot closer than just saying 3.6 watts per kilogram if you're trying to understand it from sea level. So hugely impressive, about 0.5 for your intensity factor or 85% of your threshold. 4,500 calories is what you burns, uh, 14.7 miles per hour is your average speed or 23.5 kilometers per hour. You stacked up a massive amount of QOMs, but the crazy thing is when you look at it, you also, you had even more silvers and you were silver to yourself because during the Leadville stage race, you snagged a bunch of the QOMs too. And you were really close to your stage race pace and even faster in some cases, which is thoroughly impressive. Um, on the start, which we'll get into that, but you started off for six minutes and 30 seconds. Uh, you did 185 Watts and you were in the draft holding on. There were some serious accelerations in there. It looks like too, to hold on to people's wheels. You got the QOM on the single track section from twin lakes to Columbine. So that aid station all the way up to the top of Columbine, it's, it's all climbing. There's a couple little rolling descents in between there. But that took you one hour and 21 minutes and four seconds, the QOM by a margin, uh, you did 202 Watts normalized for that. Well, that's 3.8 Watts per kilogram or 4.7 Watts per kilogram if it's elevation adjusted. So like that is hugely impressive. And Sophia, you didn't have the huge drop off yours barely tapered, like yours tapered, like most people's taper with like a elevation, like what you would expect, but yours stayed even higher than that. Um, across that climb. So hugely impressive performance, Sophia. And if I look at it, Annika had a hurt. The record is six hours and 59 minutes and 24 seconds. You had effectively the same average speed, but the course was shorter when Annika did it back then. It's controversial because of where it's been shortened in the context, but it was 2.4 miles shorter. So if you look at your average speed, that would shave off nine minutes and 48 seconds, which would get you within like 30 seconds of the record. And since we're dealing with funding money here anyway, like that's effectively within the margin of error. So you were really close, uh, like basically on par with record pace. How's that feel after DNFing the previous year? Yeah. You know, it's funny cause last year I definitely got a bit like Keegan was talking about record, you know, and I kind of fed too much into that and I just didn't come prepared um so for me this year I was like well I just want to finish and I think because I just want to finish and that for me will be a good day just gives me this big room of being able to take big risks because if I blow up and I lose first second third whatever it is like as long as I finish I'm going to be happy with that so it was a really unique position for me to tackle a race for um you know it wasn't even Definitely didn't peak for this race like Keegan did or like a lot of my competitors. Um, you know, I actually, I had a really good crush in the Tusher a month and change ago, had a really good training week after. And then when I was connecting with my coach, she was like, you're going too fast. Like at the rate that you're going, if we like hammer to for two more weeks at a high volume, like you're going to peak for Leadville, which is great, but that's not, that's not your goal. So she was like, we're actually going to take a rest week you know, kind of put a limit on your, um, put a limit on your power, your time, and then just do two 15 hour weeks, which for me, like 15 hours, like I remember just looking at everybody riding and telling my coach, like, I feel like I'm not working hard enough, you know, and my friend Haley Batten had to remind me, she's like, sometimes doing more isn't better. And I was like, well, I'll just know that I'm fresh. I've done the stage race. I know what can expect. Um, and I ended up having some really good legs on the day. So yeah, well done. So looking at the start, you decided to 
jump onto that train with Tobin and Keegan and everybody else. Was that like, that seems like a risky thing to do. Obviously it paid off. You raced well, but how did you weigh that risk to decide that that was worth it to try and push that hard in the beginning? Yeah, I think it was more staying out of trouble and just not missing that split in the case that another girl made it. I didn't mean to be that front, like that far forward because I was like second wheel, but we started and I was pretty aggressive on the start and I led it and I'm like looking around. I'm like, Tobin, where are you? (laughs) And then all of a sudden he like jumps up and no one's on his wheel. So I got on that wheel and then Keegan ended up being behind me. So I don't think you know, I never let a gap open. I was safely across the turn. So I don't think any, but any of the guys were worried that I was there. And I don't think anybody would have like gone and taken my wheel in front of Keegan. Cause he probably would have said something to him. Um, but then as soon as we hit the dirt, they just kind of all swarmed me and, um, it was okay. Cause I ended up, um, yeah, Alexis and I ended up connecting right at the base of St. Kevin. So, um, a little bit of a gutsy move, but I also just wanted to show like, I'm here on business, like we're racing. And, you know, last year at, for the past few years, the person that has led into Columbine has not actually won the race. So I was hoping that either Alexis and I would win um, or win Leadville and kind of change that narrative that it's like, you can be fit, start hard, recover. And then as long as you're like really good about pacing and like not going on that red line and not burning on your matches on Columbine, like you can hold it off and just finish strong, you know? Mm. So for you, when you came over the top of Sugarloaf and down Powerline, that's, uh, you do the first climb St. Kevin's, work your way around Turquoise Lake, and there's a descent there. And then you work your way up Sugarloaf and then down Powerline. And it's famous that at that section, it's like, you got to get with groups or you have to be with somebody because from there, more or less to the base of Columbine, drafting is extremely important because it's straight and relatively higher speed. Were you with Alexis there? Did you start to break away or when did, when did things split up for you? No. So Alexis and I, yeah, we're together up all of that. And then she was actually the one pushing the pace on Sugarloaf. Like I thought maybe that was a bit hard, but I was like, well, I just got to stick with it. I was kind of the last person of our group. And then kind of at the top, since she was leading, I was like, well, I need to be on her wheel. And if it's both of us up front, maybe I was going to tell her, let's like block the guys behind us so they don't out descend us because then we can work with them on the flats. And we don't know if there's a girl in that group that was a little bit behind. Um, but she just, once we start, she attacked that descend and, um, she ended up setting actually the QOM going down that. I think I was like two seconds off of her and I was, I ran some pretty aggressive tires, uh, aggressive in the sense of for speed, not for comfort or safety. And I was, you know, that was probably the one place where I could flat if I was going to flat. So, um, Tobin told her to really push the pace down that descent because I could flat and that'd be a very easy way to take care of me. Uh, so she pushed it. And then, you know, once we got to the bottom, she was like, damn, like, impressive that you stuck on my wheel. And I was like, thanks. I, I, I risked it right there, you know, but yeah, then we had a really nice group and then she kind of let me set pace up Columbine. And I did a couple little surges just to see how she would respond. And then all of a sudden she wasn't there anymore. And I just rode my own pace and ended up being solo from basically the top of Columbine back. Oh, I mean, mm-hmm. in reality, I was solo like up the climb cause you don't really get any draft and you're not really with people, but, um, yeah, I didn't really have anybody to work for 50 miles. So that was a little bit lonely. Yeah. It's a long time to be solo. And the other thing that's not discussed is that 
descent at the top of Columbine, you might be on the brakes, but then after that, you're, you're kind of off the brakes and it's a big fire road. And that's tough for you being so light, um, not a big rider. As a result, you don't go downhill very fast, like you're aerodynamic, but you had to be thinking from that point forward, like I'm alone, who knows who was working together behind you. How did you decide to pace after that? Because it looks like your pace was pretty consistent. Like your power was slowly starting to drop. If you look over the course of the second half, but still it's stayed really consistent. So what were you pacing by and what were you thinking about? Yeah, no pacing by feel. Uh, that's like one of the things I really have been focusing this year is like really tune in with my body and like, I don't know. I think sometimes we set these like limits of like, oh, my FTP is this. I can't go above that. But it's like, well, that's in training. Like you're not fresh in training. So at races, it should be really where you can push that ceiling and like, okay, let's see. Like once you get two or three rest days that week, like how good you can actually go. So for me, it's really important to go by feel. And I just look at three second power just to, if I am hurting, just check in and be like, okay, you're just being a little baby or like, okay, yeah, maybe just don't do this effort for so long um but I knew I had to get through the rocky bit down Columbine okay no mechanicals and then we just had such good dirt that I actually attacked that descent pretty good and uh, I set the QOM on it I think I pulled like a minute on Alexis and she was maybe the second fastest down that so it's crazy to think that over an hour climb I pulled a minute and then over a 20 minute descent I pulled a minute so it's like one of those things that it's like if you go all in on Columbine, like you might not make as much time as like really pushing hard in other areas. Um, that being said, I was across on all the flats and looking back, there was this group maybe at mile 70 that was kind of behind me. And I could tell that Alexis hadn't made that group. And instead of waiting for like 60 seconds for them to catch me, I read my own pace and then they caught me after nine miles. And looking back, that was a really bad tactical choice on my end because I arrived to power line to power line with some really tired legs just from having to push in the wind and um took that bottom of power line really consistent and easy and then as soon as you kind of do the first crest that you go downhill then I was like okay like this is where I start pushing again and yeah made it over power line make it up turquoise lake you know, I'm riding the flats and then all of a sudden I see that the photographer is staying still a little bit longer and I see that the chopper comes to me and then goes back a little bit and I'm like, oh, there's somebody really close to me, I think. And um, yeah, in the last three miles, kind of when you make the left-hand turn onto the boulevard that they call, I looked back and sure enough, Ruth Winder was behind me with another guy and, you know, at that point, it's kind of when you make a decision, do I like wait and, you know, go for a sprint, which I'm pretty confident I think I could have won, or do I just rely on my training and my fitness and just like do kind of one of those last efforts. So you're like, just go all in and risk it. Maybe you blow up, but if you're going to win Leadville, kind of win it with style was kind of my thought. And uh, yeah, I ended up extending, I think to like 90 seconds or maybe just shy of two minutes by the end. And uh, yeah, it's still like, it took me a bit to recoup myself and to like realize like I just won Leadville, like a race that I said I would never want to do in my entire life. <laughs> you know, it's just, you know, I've worked so hard on my sustained climbing, on my altitude adaptation and just 
you know, I've changed so much to progress and just, you know, to win whiskey, to win Crusher, and then to win Leadville. It's like, okay, like, you can go from being a punchy rider that's, like, focused on VO2 and rides really well at, at sea level to now being one of the best performing athletes at altitude, you know, in the Grand Prix field. So it was... Yeah, I just I'm just more proud of the work that I put in to have to be able to have this level of performance. Yeah, it's super impressive. And when you look at that final surge when Ruth, you realize Ruth was close, you made that left hand turn and that final climb to the finish, that power was substantially higher than the rest of the second half of the race. And in fact, it was like your second highest 13 minutes that you had during that race. The first was during the start but your average power on that last one was even higher because you just had to stay on the gas. So you were able to rally on that final climb and put out almost the highest power of your race for 13 minutes, which is like thoroughly impressive. How'd you fuel for this race? Because that's, I feel like where a lot of people handicap themselves and they simply do not have the ability to put out that sort of power at the end. Yeah. So I, my fuel sponsor is never second. Um, I have the pleasure of working with them starting this year and just their, their products just work for me. Um, you know, they're super easy to digest. Like they have this passion fruit gel that is like the most delicious gel I've ever had. Like I've never enjoyed eating a gel so much in my life. I look forward to it. Um, (laughs) but basically I had C90, mix so 90 grams of carbs in all my bottles and then I took about a gel per hour and I took one caffeine gel kind of going into power line um but I average anywhere between 90 to 120 like I don't think I ever actually got to 120 but maybe 90 to 100 105 because I wasn't finishing all my bottles because the temperature was so low um but yeah it was just you know that's why I look at three second power and then ride time. And then you kind of know like, okay, I, 30 minutes have passed, 40 minutes have passed. Like I need to, you know, take a drink, eat and really make sure to fuel because you can eat a lot more earlier on. And then kind of as the race goes on, especially at that altitude, you kind of, your tummy starts to not cooperate. So, um, you know, it's better to like get a little bit in every couple minutes or every 10, 15 minutes rather than try to have like massive amounts of water and fuel, you know, every 30 minutes or an hour. How much liquid did you take in per hour? Do you know roughly? No, cause I, so I started with bottle and a half, bottle and a half. And then I took one, two, three, five. I maybe had six bottles of liquid, um, like short little bottles. Um, but I know I didn't finish it all. So I would say four and a half bottles, probably maybe, maybe a bit more. Uh, but the weather it's because of the weather. Like when it's that cold, you don't have to drink as much. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. On the equipment side, you mentioned the fast tires, what tires were you running and how much pressure and were you running inserts? So I ran the specialized tracers 47s, which are a gravel tire. Um, they measure about like a 1.8, 1.9 mountain bike tire. So like very, very small. <laughs> um, I ran 22, 23 PSI, and then I did have inserts on there as well. And normally I would have probably ran a 32 front chain ring, but because I had such small tires, I actually had to go up to a 34. Otherwise I would have really been spun out, um, just cause those tires are just smaller on the wheel and take less effort to roll them over. Um, so I had to upgrade 
which is funny. Yeah. (laughs) Which bike were you riding? Because you have the Evo and then you have the World Cup to pick from. Yeah, no, I raced the Epic World Cup. The guys were on the Evo. Um, I, I just been vibing with that Epic World Cup. Like I just, it feels like a race bike. I feel like I've never climbed better on any other bike that I've ever owned. Like, I don't think I could have climbed on my hardtail as fast as I did. Uh, even though you get a weight penalty for the full suspension. Um, and I've just have had a lot of good memories on that bike this year. So why would I try to switch and do, you know, do something else? So, um, yeah, it's a really cool bike. Did you do anything else special with equipment at all for Leadville? Like, uh, were you like Keegan and chopping bars to specific lengths or doing any crazy stuff like that? I, the only thing I changed from the stage race to the race was I went from a 90 stem to a hundred just because I felt like I was pretty scrunched up and looking back at it, I maybe could have gone 110 as well. Um, and I didn't want to go to a hundred and chop my bars because then that would kind of get me to the same place that I was before. And then I added some wireless blips as well, just so when I was on the flats or in arrow position, I didn't have to break arrow position to shift. Um, so that was like a pretty fun thing. I just had like two little buttons that I would just go ding, 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 um, and press. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I run those on my gravel bike. I have them on my mountain bike and they're pretty awesome. Yeah. It's a good setup. Sophia, like thoroughly impressive in your words, a race that you never wanted to do. And then the race that you didn't think that you would probably be able to do well at, and you were on record pace, like, I mean, quite literally the same average speed as what the record was set before and world-class power numbers, you know, up at high elevation, you're doing 4.5 Watts per kilogram for that race. And that's just like thoroughly impressive. So incredible job. Well done. Uh, when, where can people follow you, your team, everything else? Uh, our team does not have an Instagram account, uh, but I'm on Instagram, Sophie, the Villa, um, and yeah, no, I'm the most active there also on Strava. People want to follow me. I did pace in on his podcast, gave me shit for not sh- sharing my rides and what I was doing. So I said, you know what? It's nothing special that I do. I don't think I train that hard. Like I know I train hard, but it's nothing cool. Like if people really want to see the simple workouts I have, like go ahead. Like my training is a hundred percent tailored to me and very specific to me. So like if my competitors want to do my workouts, it probably not going to work for them because it, they're a hundred percent tailored to me. So, um, yeah, I started sharing it on Strava. So trying to increase those followers. <laughs> yeah. Go, go flood her. Uh, Sophia, great job. Uh, thanks for coming back on the podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Cool. Thank you. All right. Keegan and Tobin, it's good to have you guys. And now let's talk about your performance at Leadville. Uh, first Tobin, you kicked the whole thing off. How did you feel knowing that your goal and your whole entire mission was to basically blow up at the beginning of a hundred mile race at an average elevation of 10,000 feet when you've been known to struggle riding at elevation before? Yeah, it's definitely not something I love doing, but at the same time, you know, I know I can have a good short burst at altitude. So, you know, it almost took like the stress off performing for the rest of the day. Um, Keegan and I had (laughs) talked about, um, you know, ways to make up time for his record attempt. And one way he and I both figured would be a good way to cut some time early would be to get it rolling as fast as possible right off the gun, because normally these long endurance events just kind of cruise pretty soft to like the first bottleneck or whatever. So, um, you know, we both knew if I could just start the race and get the pace going as high as possible right off the bat, that we could probably make a minute or two before the first climb. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, that was about a 20 minute effort and got everyone to the base of that. And we were definitely way ahead of, um, you know, the pace notes. So that was good. And then, yeah, I just kind of had to suffer up that first climb. Then how much power was that Tobin? Um, like roughly how much power did you put out? Let me take a look here. I had this memorized for a second and then I forgot it wasn't anything too wild. Uh, 3:40 normalized for about 20 minutes. Um, at 10,000 feet. Awesome. So, you know, whatever that's worth. But, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the start is a lot of downhill. So it was really just getting it up to speed at a 38 ring on. So just get that thing spun out and then keep it spinning at like 110 RPM if I could, and then just try to tuck. And then the minute the road would get flat again, just spin as fast as I could. And like I said, just be going as fast as possible was my goal. So that's breaking it down. That's about 4.5 watts per kilogram for Tobin up there. Uh, but then if you, an elevation adjustment for is, is controversial. Like if you take somebody's watt kg and then you see what it would be like at sea level, you know, I know that's controversial, but if you did that, uh, you're north of five Watts per kilogram for that effort to start out on, uh, Tobin for sure. North of yeah, five Watts about, per kilogram. Right. Nothing like what sort of chain ring did, yeah, what's, what size chain ring did you have to be able to, to push the speed? Uh, 38, uh, Keegan had a 40 on. If I had a 40, I definitely could have kept the, I mean, everything could have been higher with a 40 power, uh, speed, um, you know, whatever else you want to say, but I would have paid for that later. Like at the end of the day, I did still have to get through that. I had to get through Leadville at the end. So having a ring that I could climb <laughs> Columbine on was still important. And a 38 was, it was rough up there. Like I definitely would have been happier with 36, but there were also times I was pretty stoked to have that 38 later in the day too. So I probably would run it again next year, even if, you know, we weren't trying to do something. Did you have to walk on Columbine? I dabbed once. Power line with that? I dabbed once on Columbine, the loose stuff at the top and I had road shoes. So I was a little concerned about walking really wasn't an option because if those cleats pack in is a little wet, if they get anything in them, I can't clip back in. So yeah, I just quickly like found a good spot to, you know, you can't really start facing up the mountain. So you almost got to face diagonal for a second, then make your turn to face straight up the climb again. So just kind of like found a quick spot to do that. And on the road pedal, you know, you got to flip the thing over 180 degrees to get clipped in. So it was a bit of a balancing act there, but yeah, it wasn't an issue anywhere else. So road pedals and shoes, why'd you choose to use those? Um, just for the platform. Well, I like white shoes too. <laughs> Jira doesn't make a white mountain bike shoe. Better but, platform, a little lighter. <laughs> they look good. Yeah, a lot of wins. Yeah. You know, though, when you're pushing on a big road pedal, it's just a big positive platform. You know, um, that's the main reason. I really like how they feel. Mountain bike shoes are, yeah. they're not bad, don't get me wrong, but if it's a day where I feel like I'm going to be clipped in and not dabbing or anything weird, then I choose road pedals every time. So, Tobin, even though you showed up to blow up, so to speak, yeah. you still put in a strong time at Leadville thereafter. What was your time? Uh, 6.48, I think, or 43? It was 48. Sheesh. Yeah. Yeah, I was happy to come That's in impressive. under seven hours after, you know, a hard start. So, yeah, it ended up being a pretty good day, all things considered. <laughs> Just saying a lot because you haven't had a lot of enjoyable days at altitude before. No. Uh, did anything change to like give you a better perspective or, or what do you think? Yeah. What unlocked this better experience? Up um, I think I came in with like zero. Um, I came in with zero ambitions except for helping Keegan and zero expectations. Um, I was being pretty negative about actually the whole race to be honest before. Um, but yeah, I think showing up with zero expectations and knowing that it's going to be just like super hard and then actually feeling 
pretty decent. I showed up two days before the race. I didn't really do any acclimation, uh, any, any special acclimation. I just showed up two days before. Um, I've tried doing a month at altitude. I've tried an altitude tent and I actually felt the best just kind of showing up last minute. So, you know, maybe that was a fluke or maybe that's just what works for me. Um, but that was the one thing I hadn't tried. So maybe, maybe in a way that did work for me. And that's why I felt a little bit better than normal. We'll find out this coming weekend. Cause you're racing SBT and you've been in elevation <laughs> since Leadville. Yeah, exactly. Right? But now I've so, been here for a week, so I'm yeah. good and depleted, <laughs> but it's low altitude. Yeah. <laughs> it is lower, low, a lot lower. So feels nice. Where, where are you guys at right now? Uh, we're in steamboat, which is 65. about 65. A lot of the racing like doesn't really go above seven. So, um, yeah, oh, which is like, it. feels pretty nice after being at 10 to 12. Yeah, you guys are at the Dead Sea, practically. Yeah. Um, Keegan, uh, I'm going to run through some numbers for you really quick. So previously, the record was held by Alvin Licata in 2015. He set that record at 558.35. Uh, he famously had a team of five and then that were trading poles and really like with the goal of delivering a fast time. And then he also had uh, Christian Hynek, who was he was racing against, and they both put on just a super strong performance uh, to get that 558.35 uh, Licata had that. Those are the circumstances. Uh, weather was super similar, as I mentioned earlier. Um, uh, but let's talk about your performance. So you came into this race roughly around 64 kilos. So it's about a hundred and just over 140 pounds. Uh, sea level FTP is probably somewhere around 400 and up at Leadville, you're kind of weird. Uh, so you're probably like around 360 or maybe, um, yeah, 360 uh, or 350, uh, I think? don't know. I mean, it's really hard to say okay. what it yeah. is, but we, so we didn't change normal. it. Most people we are going to drop like 20%. It, it is what it is. You know? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Most people drop 20% if they go from sea level to 10,000 feet or close to 20%. It definitely varies individually. But for you, obviously, that's not the case. does not drop that much. Maybe not even 10%, which is just crazy. Um, so that puts you at around 6.3 watts per kilogram down at sea level. And then up at Leadville, that's going to put you around like 5.8 watts per kilogram, I think, uh, way up there. So pretty crazy. Uh, you did 303 normalized power, 274 average power for five hours, 43 minutes and 31 seconds. That's the record, a substantial beat on the record. Uh, so that's 4.7 Watts per kilogram that you did for that whole race up at 10,000 feet. Again, adjusting altitude for these sort of performances. I know it's a bit controversial, but to put it in context, it'd roughly be like holding 5.4 Watts per kilogram for nearly six hours, uh, down at sea level, which is just nuts. Uh, your IF was somewhere just below 0.85, it seems. And 5,564 kilojoules is what you burned. Uh, you held 18.4 miles per hour, 29.6 kilometers per hour. Uh, you got so many KOMs, but uh, some notable ones, the bottom of power line to pipeline aid station, the bottom of power line to twin lakes aid station, the climb out of turquoise lake, the small one after the aid station that's often overlooked, but it's a good spot to get gaps on people mm. or to get gapped off. Unfortunately, uh, you got the KOM going up Columbine and down Columbine. And while we're on that going up Columbine, it took you 51 minutes and 57 seconds. I think it took me like an hour and 20 something minutes, <laughs> which is just crazy. Uh, and you did 327 Watts normalized, um, and 5.1 Watts per kilogram or elevation adjusted nearly six Watts per kilogram for that climb, which is just bonkers. Um, and on that too, an interesting point is you, you had almost perfectly even power normalized and average was a one watt different. And the first half to the second half, there was only one Watts different, one watt different. So 
you were like perfectly smooth. It looked like you were interval training um, when you were climbing the combine, which is just nuts. <laughs> yeah, erg mode. I love it. You got the KOM from the alternate aid station back to the pipeline aid station. So that's the really long segment. And you were totally alone by that point. You were alone from close to the bottom of Columbine all the way to the rest of through the, the rest of the day. You got the KOM from the bottom of Columbine to the finish again, solo on power line. You got that and you did 2216. That was your time up that one, 330 Watts. So 5.1 Watts per kilogram again on that and 5.8 Watts per kilogram adjusted, which is bonkers. Like to be able to do the same power up power line that you did on Columbine. Most of us were so destroyed by the time we get to power line that we're just trying to get up it and holding the same power we once did would be crazy, but you did it. And the turquoise lake climb, climbing back out of there. You got that one and, and others. So I got to let's, let's run through this thing. Um, Keegan, you said that your goal wasn't to beat the record, but your goal was to go sub 550. So in other words, like to bury the record, to go even further mm-hmm. than that, what indications did you have that made that seem like a good, I seem like a good idea because that's pretty, I mean, that's crazy. It, it hasn't been beat before. And the only time it was beat was by a team of five. Yeah. I mean, you know, like last year I came up, you know, like a minute and a half short or something on the record. And I was like, man, like if I'm going to beat it, I really want to like make it mine and own it, you know, make it. So it's hopefully hard to, for, uh, someone else to beat. Cause I figured if I just slid under, like maybe someone could go next year and snipe it with the team or whatever, you know? So I think, uh, you know, I talked to the, to Jim, my coach and he's like, yeah, I think, you know, like 550 or a hair under is, is doable. Like it's, it's a, it's a reach, but it's, uh, it's within reason, you know, we ran the numbers and it all checked out and, you know, you and I had also talked about it and you'd help make that, uh, little cheat sheet for time splits throughout the course. And, uh, that was also just a hair under 550. And I'm like, all right, we can, you know, we can do this. Like, like according to the numbers, it's all possible as long as the day goes well and, uh, fueling is on and whatnot. So, uh, yeah. And, you know, figure we'd send it and, and, uh, you know, on the way back, like I was slowly, like kind of negative splitting it and picking up time. And I was like, man, maybe we can go, maybe we can do a 545. Uh, that would be cool. You know, that's a, <laughs> it'd be cool to really just bury it. Uh, see, so yeah, when I saw I was on pace, I feel like it kind of like gave me more motivation to keep pushing to really see like what was possible and, uh, see how fast I could go. You mentioned negative splitting your first half of the race. When you were with a group, you did 298 normalized and 268 average. And that one is up to the top of Columbine, your second half of the race. And that's, this is including the descent from Columbine. So that's, you know, coasting to very low power. You did 310 normalized and 282 for your average. So you did way more power going back and the interesting, you know, people were able to work together behind you, everything else, but you were extending your gap that whole time on that second half solo doing more power. Uh, it's hugely impressive. I want to talk a little bit about on your way back. What sort of like, um, we talked about that you had the splits that was motivating to you, but what sort of changes did you make to your equipment on your bike and then on your person so that mm-hmm. you would be more aerodynamic? Cause I'm sure you anticipated this, like, you know, coming into it, you knew that you were going to pro- likely be solo uh, right. coming back in. So what changes did you do? Yeah. I mean, as you mentioned, I was pretty confident I'd be solo on the way back. You know, there was like small hopes. Like, like maybe, maybe I'll have someone for a bit on the way back and we can push some time there, but it was pretty evident going Columbine that I, 
was going to be solo. So, you know, I twisted the throttle a bit more of Columbine and kind of risked it a little bit on pacing. I was like, I think I should be able to do this, but the climbs are the best place to really make a bunch of time when you're alone. Um, you know, your work just goes a lot further. So yeah, I pushed the pace a little bit up Columbine, was able to go a fair bit faster up that and come in a bit under uh, our pacing plan at the top and uh, probably had five or six minutes on, you know, the group behind at that point. So on the way back, you know, I knew I was going to be alone. Uh, and really for me, I made it like the goal of really just staying as aerodynamic as possible. You know, I had bar tape on my bars and I had blips on there so I could stay, stay tight the whole time. Um, spent a lot of time like fully, you know, puppy pod over the bars, just draping the hands over, which is the fastest in my mind. I know that like that position is probably worth like 30 or 40 Watts. So I figured if I can get down there and push, you know, 300 or so, then that's actually like doing 330 or whatever upright. Um, so I figured that was efficient and was able to gain a lot of speed that way. And also like, it's like made a simple goal of like, whenever it was falls flat downhill, just spin the 40, 10 out. And I knew I'd be going really fast. <laughs> so it's kind of like those little things that, you know, mm-hmm. kept me going like, all right, if you just spin this out, just make that the glutting look at power. You know, I was like, all right, just tap this out at least do over hundred RPM in this gear and you're going to be really ripping. Um, and then up the climbs, I was like, all right, once you drop below like 15 miles an hour, whatever you'll, you can stand and, you know, put a bit more power out and try and, you know, gain a bit, a bit of time that way. Um, and yeah, whenever, you know, whenever I was on the pavement, just stay low and stay tucked and, um, keep the head down and really also fueling too. You know, I had a timer set on my Garmin that was going off every 30 minutes to remind me to eat and drink, especially when it's cool out. It, it gets kind of hard to, hard to remember to eat sometimes and drink when it's not super hot, but it's still, it's, you know, just as important. So, um, yeah, fueling yeah, what did was, you eat fueling was a big in terms thing. of grams of carbs every hour. How many grams of carbs did you take in? Um, how much sodium and like how much fluid? So I made this like pacing plan with Tubbin and, or not, not pacing, sorry, like a fueling plan, you know, on the back of the Leadville poster. And uh, like fueling was, I was kind of aiming for roughly like 120, give or take. And like I didn't, wasn't finishing quite all my bottles you know like i was dumping some out on the climb so i was like oh no i'm not gonna drink all this and uh so i tried to make up for that a little bit with some extra gels um you know i was picking up picked up uh started with two bottles picked up one at pipeline and then another one at uh twin lakes alternate and then you know bought another bottle at twin lakes and then um another then i picked up two bottles again at uh pipeline one with uh, Never Second C90, the other one had Monster in it, and then made it my goal to finish the bottle with Monster before the bottom of Powerline, so you're not carrying two bottles up, and try and get all that caffeine and sugar in the system before you uh, get into that climb. So, And then from there on out, you know, I figured one bottle would be enough to get me get me to the finish. Nice. Yeah. Uh, do you know how many grams of carbs that worked out to? Uh, honestly, I didn't do the math to figure out exactly what I ended up at. Uh, and hard to say exactly how much of the bottles I dumped out and how much I ingested. I think I did a pretty good job of finishing most of them, but I know there was some that I only drank half or whatever. Um, so I'd have to say somewhere between like 115 and 125 is probably a good guess. Um, yeah, I don't know. Exactly. How much sodium did you take in? Did you keep track of that? Um, well, every bottle every bottle had 600, and then the, bo- the gels had 200. So I probably had six or seven bottles, probably about seven gels. The monster didn't have much sodium. Um, 
Yeah. So close to around 800 or over 800 grams yeah, was, or sorry, milligrams of sodium. Yeah. Probably eight, probably about 800 an hour on average, give or take. Nice. Yeah. And then with all that drinking, probably somewhere around a liter an hour of fluid that you're taking in. Ooh, not quite. I would say probably more like 700 mil an hour. Um, probably about a bottle an hour. Yeah. So these are the smaller bottles. These aren't tall bottles. Yeah. I was running the, see, I, I started with two of the little, like 600 mil bottles. And then I, I used like mm-hmm. a couple of them at seven fifties, which in hindsight, I didn't really need to use those bigger ones to dump some of it out. But yeah, nice. better to have too much, uh, than not enough. You mentioned something before we go back into the equipment, you mentioned that like, you know, you turned up the pace or something on Columbine, but I'm looking at your power profile and you were so smooth. It really looks like you just held pace mm-hmm. maybe. And then the field broke off and then like fell away from you because I don't see a surge on there. Is, yeah, that, I mean, is that accurate that you didn't really attack? No. You just kind of held the pace and it dropped yeah, off. Yeah, There was no surging. I just, uh, like last year I rode, you know, I rode like three thirty ish and then I kind of faded off near the top. Whereas this time I just committed to riding that pace all the way to the top. Uh, and the top of the climb is also the steepest and that's like, when it's steeper, you can gain a lot more time, you know? So I was like, well, if you just ride, if I can do 370, 380 when it's steep, I'm going to gain a lot more time and then back off the pedals a bit when it flattens out to try and recover for the next pitch, especially when you're 12,000 feet. It seems like a, like, you know, it's an efficient way to do it. And I also had a 40 tooth, a 40. So it's like, you kind of have to go fast. No choice. Yeah. If you, you know, <laughs> if you ride the speed you have to, it's not bad. <laughs> so... Uh, what equipment changes? You mentioned that you had uh, bar tape on the inside of your bars, just like next to your stem mm-hmm. and little blips. So you could keep your hands there and shift and you were doing puppy paws with your forearms over that. Yep. Um, but, uh, let's go over like, you know, bar width, stem length, and then what bike you used. We already know that you used a 40 tooth and a 1052 in the back. Mm-hmm. Let's go over that stuff. And then we'll talk about what was going on on your body too. Yeah. So a few small changes, you know, to the, my traditional mountain bike set. Normally I'm running like a 690 mil bar, uh, and a little shorter stem. This race, I ran a 110 minus 17. And then I had the bars cut down to 660. Just figured like it's less material. So it's a little less weight. And then it's more aerodynamic when you're on the bars. It's more aerodynamic when you're not on the, on the handle and you're not on the grips just cause you're less wide like your body is most of the aerodynamics, right? So if you can like get your position fast, then the, what bike you're on the mountain bike or mount road bike, whatever it's irrelevant. It, like it, you can make a big changes in just being arrow and be stay tucked. So I figured the narrower bars, the longer stems, more comfortable, can lock your arms out a little more without having to bend as much. Um, otherwise like back of the position was the same saddle height, all that, etc. cetera. Uh, ran road pedals as well as Tobin. Um, just more efficient, a little lighter, more aerodynamic. Uh, the lace up Giro shoes, uh, laces are fast, they're light. Um, and the SLX, they're well vented, so they also they don't weigh very much. And then the aero helmet, um, uh, I just always wear the aero helmet. It's like semi aero. It's not like the super, super crazy looking one, but it is fast, you know, uh, just as fast as most of the aero helmets. So I always run that, um, the Rafa skin suit with pockets, try to keep the pockets also like the middle one more full than the sides so that they aren't catching as much. Um, I didn't put much in them details. Yeah. Figured yeah. all, all uh, adds up. when you, and on, on the shoes, you also covered your laces, right? I, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. Covered the laces with just a piece of elastic just to keep them down and keep them from flapping. Um, figure that would, mm-hmm. you know, make as big of a difference. Um, the laces are, lace shoes are fast. So I figure if you tack the laces down, they're going to be even quicker. 
And then uh skin suit, you mentioned that you wore the Rafa skin suit. Mm-hmm. Um, you, what bike were you on? And then uh, I think that kind of covers the equipment. Yeah. Yeah. So Rafa, yeah, Rafa skin suit and then uh size medium Santa Cruz highball. So just a, and what length fork on there? Yeah. Just a hundred mil ran the sit SL at a hundred uh, and ran it nice. with pretty much the same pressure as I normally do. I actually took out a volume reducer normally run three volume reducers. I ran two and ran it at 103 PSI. So I kept it fairly firm so I could have it open a fair bit. Cause I actually ran it open even when I really didn't need it. Just, uh, when I was doing the puppy paws or whatever, it makes it a little safer to have the fork fork open. So it absorbs like the little bumps in the dirt or on the road. Then you won't be, you know, hitting a bump and sliding off the front. Nice. And did you run a lockout, a remote lockout, or just have the little lever to turn? Oh, yeah, I ran the new twist lock. Uh, so I had that, you know, over on the left-hand nice. side. Twist lock's nice and clean, and it's just so easy. You know, just uh, just reach over and mm. flick it either direction. And um, that way, if you're running a dropper post, it also makes it nice and clean to run that. So no dropper this time, though. I ran a high post. I was just going to say no dropper. Uh, the thing we didn't cover is your tires. Oh, yeah. Um, what tires were you running at what pressure where are you running inserts? Uh, so I ran Maxxis Aspen ST uh, in the traditional 120 TPI with XO casing. Uh, the ST is like the team only edition, like file tread Aspen. Um, and then ran those at 21 front, 22 PSI rear, no inserts this time. Uh, and then reserve maybe some custom wheels that had a the GR25 gravel rim laced to a DT180 mountain bike hub to obviously to fit the boost Ooh, on the highball. Yeah, super light. Um, saves like 35 grams of rim over the 28s, uh, which are our mountain bike wheels. So they're super light. Those are already light wheels, so they're likely about 1,200 grams or so. Um, and then it makes uh, it fit the profile of the 2.2 a bit better. That was a big reason I wanted to do it. Um, so the tire is, makes it a little more round instead of being so square, so less rubber on the ground and maybe a hair more aerodynamic. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it also the tire, the wheels a bit more compliant a little more supple just because there's less carbon. Uh, and then the straight pull spokes also make it a bit more compliant. So, um, all those things add up when you're riding a hard tail, you know, and you run hard, I was running hard pressure as well. Just, I didn't want to flat and so they roll fast. So having a bit more compliant wheel makes a big difference. Nice. So you're passing more of the compliance into the wheels instead of into the tires. Exactly. And since you're, you're losing compliance because you have a hard tail anyway. So yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Uh, Keegan, so, uh, go oh, caffeine was the last thing you mentioned that you took in monster. Did you take in caffeine anywhere else? Uh, no, I mean just a bit of coffee with breakfast, but nothing crazy. Just two cups, you know? Uh, and then the, just the caffeine and the monster at the end. So I don't like to, you gotta be careful with well, caffeine when you're racing at races this long, I think. And especially at altitude, uh, you know, you gotta kind of be careful. <laughs> yeah. Send you through highs and yeah, lows. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Is there anything, uh, what do you leave out on course that you think that like, uh, you know, advantages that you think you can get and go back and beat the record? Do you think there's any room for that for you to improve? I mean, you know, I think in terms of like equipment or dynamics, I think we pretty much nailed it. Um, I'm you know, sure there's always a room I can maybe get a little bit lower, talk a little more. Um, I mean, the dirt was good. So I was able to descend fast. I mean, I think the only room left for improvement is, like a bigger motor, you know, like maybe if I could get more power and push a bit more on the flats and on the climbs, that's really it. But I don't think there's a whole lot left. Um, in terms like, I think I pretty much executed it about right. I mean, sure. You can gain more time on the way out. If you had a team dedicated to like just riding absolutely like out of their skin to the bottom of Columbine and I sit it and do nothing. Like obviously you could go mm-hmm. faster that way. But, 
like as a, as a race, as it was, you know, I had Tobin for the first 20 minutes and then was on my own at the mercy of how fast the pack wanted to ride. But luckily, I mean, this race was as, as competitive as it's ever been, if not more so this year. So everyone was uh, pushing and at the bottom of uh, power line, you know, the race always splits kind of going up Sugarloaf and then you go down and you, you, the race also blows up there. So you hit the bottom of power line and everyone wants to work to keep, keep that split, right? You don't want the guys who you already dropped to come back. So I think it's in everyone's best interest to ride and, um, you know, not play too many games. So I think, uh, yeah. you know, it worked out quite well. And this, in that way that the, the pace was fast and no one was sitting in and, uh, causing problems. <laughs> so it's quite interesting that with, when you were with a group based on the time splits, um, that we generated, like you were hitting your time splits all within a minute North or South of them, you know, mm-hmm. for, long time with the group. And then, like you said, even up to like the top of Columbine, and then man, when you came back, you really turned it up. Um, but, uh, super impressive Keegan. I think this, uh, uh, well, I mean, this is already the case, but this should put everybody on notice that this is like, uh, you are truly unique and world-class, particularly at altitude. Like, uh, not many cyclists have done a performance like this up at altitude and that sort of altitude, because we don't even see this sort of altitude in like pro road racing. So, Impressive job, man. Thank you. Uh, way to go. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and if people want to follow you and uh, the team and everything else, how can they do that? Yeah. Uh, so I've got my you know, Instagram account, Kegels99 there. And then we have the Hit Squad Instagram account, which is ht.sqd. Uh, trying to keep that updated with, uh, you know, Tobin and I's shenanigans. And then, you know, I'm always up on Strava posting everything there. Uh, so you can see, you know, what I'm doing for training, numbers, routes, whatever. Uh, it's all public. So, yeah, go give me a follow and you can see uh, see what we're up to. Awesome. Cool. I'll put those links down below. Thanks a bunch. Yeah, Keegan. thank you. We hope you enjoyed that special episode of the podcast. And if you did, the best way that you can show your appreciation is helping this podcast get to more people. And the way you can do that, there's a ton of them. You can go to Spotify and rate the podcast. That helps it come up in search rankings for people. You can, if you're watching this on YouTube, leave a comment down below. Let us know you appreciated it. Ask your questions that you have for Sophia, for Keegan, for Tobin, or for anybody else. Just share your comments on there. And if you like the video by giving it a thumbs up, and then if you subscribe to our YouTube channel, all of that will send signals for YouTube and Spotify and all podcast platforms to send our podcast to more people. It's how you can show your appreciation. We'd love that. So, uh, and the end goal is just to get more people to sign up for trainer road. So if you've already done that stuff, consider signing up for trainer road or refer one of your friends over to trainer road. Uh, that's our whole focus is we just want to make more people faster. And speaking of that, stay tuned for a special episode of the podcast where an athlete used trainer road to finish top 10 in the pro class at Leadville. So stay tuned for that. Uh, we'll go into what they did for training and how they executed. It's a fantastic episode. So stay tuned. Thank you, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.